We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Well, welcome everybody to Monday Midrash. Um, we're on the uh, eighth Midrash of uh, the first chapter of Breshit Rabbah, of Genesis Rabbah. Um, and, uh, and why don't we just jump right into it? So, uh, uh, Franklin, do you want to read Rabbi Yehoshua Ben Levi? Rabbi. By the way, Rabbi Yehoshua Ben Levi is one of my most favorite uh, uh, rabbis in all of rabbinic literature. Um, whenever his name comes up, you know, something exciting is bound to happen. Uh, he uh, uh, is associated with a lot of what I would call like quasi-mystical teachings and, uh, and, and, and uh, narratives in rabbinic literature, including a really, probably my favorite uh uh, narrative in all of uh, the Talmud is uh, um, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi meets up with Elijah and uh, says to Elijah, when is the Messiah coming? And Elijah says, well, why don't you go and ask him yourself? And he says, well, if I knew where to find him, I would have already asked him. Uh, and so how, will, you know, so how will I find him? And, and so uh, Elijah says, uh, he is uh, sitting with all of the lepers outside of the gates of Rome. And Joshua ben Levi says, Joshua ben Levi says, uh, well, how will I recognize him among all the other lepers? He says, well, all the other, you wouldn't know, recognize him uh, other than, because uh, he looks the same as everybody else, uh, except for um, all of the lepers uh, undo their bandages and, and redo them one at a time. Uh, but he takes them off all at once and redoes them all at once because he might be needed uh, he might be called upon momentarily and he wants to be ready to go when it's time to go. That's the only way you would know the difference between him and them. So Joshua Ben Levi goes to Rome. He uh, finds the Messiah and he says to the Messiah, um, uh, uh, when, when is the master coming? When are you coming, Messiah? And uh, the Messiah says, today. And, uh, and so, uh, skip ahead and, uh, Joshua and Levi goes back to the land of Israel and he meets up with Elijah again. And Elijah says, so you, did you meet the Messiah? What did he say? And Joshua and Levi says, well, he lied to me because he said he was coming today and it was today and he didn't come. And Elijah says, oh, you misunderstood him. What he meant was, and he quotes a line from, uh, the Psalms from Psalm, uh, 92. Two, I believe, um, or ninety-six. Anyway, one of the psalms in Kabbalah Shabbat says, "Hayom im tishmau." Right? Uh, today, if you listen to God's voice, right? So, in other words, like the He'll come today if we uh, if we like live the way God wants us to live, then Mashiach will be. That's here. great. Yeah, it's an amazing That's story. Great. I love that story. Um, I wasn't sure where we were going. Yeah, it was great. That was great. Okay, all right, Joshua ben Levi, Joshua ben Levi. Joshua ben Levi said in the name of Rabbi Levi, six things are required for building. Water, dirt, wood, stone, rods, and iron. I know they had iron then. Sure. Okay. I mean, um, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, um, the... Uh, um, the Bible is kind of like a, a Bronze Age document more more than anything else. But you can see in the Bible indications that there was this transition between this Bronze Age and the Iron Age. So that uh, nations that had iron weapons, like the Philistines, were, um, were so formidable because they had this technology that the Israelites didn't have. Um, Hi. You know, but I don't know what happened to all of my copies. Um, you did give me back yours, right? I did. Yeah. Hmm. Um, let me go and look and see if 
See, they're more in that box. If not, I'll give you my copy, and then I'll, I'll follow along in the, English, in the Hebrew. Um, anyway, so... Um, yeah, well, we'll definitely take a Tanakh, anyway. Um, here, you can use mine. I'll just follow along in the Hebrew. Um, but I just may need to... Uh, to, to cheat with somebody's translation from time to time. Um, gotcha. But, uh, so let's see, okay. Peric Aleph, uh, number eight, right? Let's see where we are here. Uh, Dalit. Give me just a second to get to the bit. Anyway, so to uh, talk, so Franklin, the, the, mish, the Midrash began... No, I was on the right page. Oh, you were on the right page. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Midrash began uh, with, uh, with saying... There it is, okay. Um, with saying that there are six uh, things uh, that a builder needs to build. Uh, water, dirt, wood, stones, uh, uh, reeds... <coughs> rods. Rods. Oh, yeah, kanim. Kanim is like is like reeds more than uh, rods. I think that that's what it means. It's sort of like bamboo rods. I think is mm-hmm. kind of what. It's, anyway, and iron. And Franklin was asking about iron because he was surprised that they had iron then. Um, but they, but they, they did. Certainly, by the time of the rabbis, they had iron. You know, this is written uh, in the uh, Roman period and, and later. So they most certainly had iron. Um, but uh, what I was saying is that uh, you know the, the Bible largely is a Bronze Age document, um, and there are moments in the Bible where you can kind of like see the beginning of the transition to the Iron Age. So, like the Philistines, for example, are a really formidable enemy because they have like all of this techno- you know weaponry that the Israelites don't have. They knew how to forge iron. Uh, the Book of Samuel, I believe, says about the Philistines. Um, you know, so it's like. Uh, it's, you know, it's like when all of a sudden, you know, uh, the United States revealed that it had nuclear weapons, you know, and when everybody had been fighting um, a, a conventional war and all of a sudden war was not conventional anymore. Um, you know, so that, that's what the transition means. Anyway, that's sort of an aside here. But, um, and Solomon's uh, minds were copper. Solomon's minds were copper. Yes, I believe so. Um, oh, Adira is watching. Hi, Adira. Okay, so a builder needs six things, and those are the six things. Okay. If you say he is rich and does not need rods, he still needs measuring rods, as it says in Ezekiel 40-3, with a line of flax in his hand and a measuring rod, the Torah proceeded with a, with a line of flax in his hand and a measuring rod. The Torah preceded this with six, the first of the whole forever from the start, from the first, which is two in, in our portions, Proverbs 8, 23. God made me as the beginning of his way, the first of his... The first of his works of old. I was set up forever from the start, from the first of the earth. Okay, all right. Well, let's let's go back. Okay, so it's uh, it's it's setting up a proposition, right? That uh, in order for a builder to build anything, uh, a builder needs six things, right? It needs uh, builder needs water, dirt, uh, wood, stones, rods, reeds, and iron, right? And then it kind of then it has like a little bit of an aside, which. We can get into if you want, but the the aside is kind of like Talmudic move, right? Ve'im uh, Tomar. Uh, for those of you who are in Robert Kreider's Talmud class, you've probably encountered uh, a variation of this in in um, in in Talmudic Aramaic. It's usually like like the uh, Tema uh, or something like that. Um, so Ve'im Tomar means is like introducing a challenge, right? Uh, uh, or like a Hypothetical challenge, right? So if you want to say that a rich person, you know, we say a builder needs all these things, 
But what about a rich builder? A rich right. builder doesn't need this uh, kind of material, right? Um, uh, if you want to say a rich builder doesn't need a, a rod or a reed, I'm not sure why that would be the case. Um, I can look in the commentary and see what they have. Maybe you have thoughts about it. Um, uh, uh, but he would still need, uh, nevertheless, he would still need a measuring rod, okay? So he needs some kind of rod, just not every kind of rod, right? So there's no builder... The, the answer ultimately is there's no builder that doesn't need a rod of some kind for building. So Even he's a using that to sort of, it's almost like he's tackling uh, a hypothetical um, challenge to what he just said. Right. He's like proving himself real quick, right? So he can move on right. with what he's saying. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, right. Want to want to like. Clear up any possible challenges to the proposition right. that I'm making. The proposition stands that a builder needs six things. Like, before you say this, let me just say... Right, right. head off your, your challenge at the pass, right? Yeah, okay. um, that's cool. Uh, now, it's interesting, you know. Um, uh, does a builder need all those six things? Are there things that a builder needs on top of those six things in order to build? In his time, would those be the six things, or... Not, I don't know what their their houses were like at that time. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm looking at uh, the commentaries here to see if they have anything about the um, about the about those six things. Um, Does he need people? Well, that's it, right. Uh, right, a builder needs people, presumably, right? So people are not mentioned. You're built like actual builders, you know, other people to help. Um, not a bare hands for sure. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting. It's kind of, it's a little bit timeless. I mean, these are kind of the things that large categories that, you know, make up the materials that, of my house. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, like you know, umbrella category, right? My, my, you know, you got a wood frame, right? You got uh, bricks and concrete, you know, yeah, which is which is basically uh, mine vafar, right? Uh, uh, water and, and dirt of various kinds. Um, uh, avanim stones, you know. So maybe you like know. a foundation. Yeah. I guess that's sort of like cement, though. But your house might, you know, you might. Uh, um, you know, you might use stones for various things, um, and certainly, in the, and certainly in the Middle East, it was, it still is common to make houses out of stone. Um, uh, uh, barzel iron is an interesting one. And up, and up. Do you? Well, I guess you might. You know, you need nails for the wood and, um, and pipes. I mean, there's steel now, or maybe not even steel. Maybe they're plastic now, but. Yeah, kind of like right today. Right today, plastic. Right in my house. Right today, steel probably more than iron because iron rusts. I don't know. My pipes are really old. (laughs) 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 But yeah, plastic will probably be added today. They didn't have that then. Um, Or steel. Okay. Steel is super, super, super hot iron, right? It's just superheated iron. No, steel is iron mixed with something, yeah. That's right. So iron mixed with something. Child of iron. Yeah. What else is, what is it mixed with? Aluminum? No. Something else. I don't remember, but it's, but it's, but it's, but steel's made so that, uh, so that it doesn't rust. So, you know, it's, so it's like strong like iron, but, but won't rust. All right. I'm going to find out for it. We live in amazing. <laughs> yeah. What are shingles? Is that stone? I guess sh- shingles would be. Yeah, be, I would yeah stone or or or, the fancy or designer you know, ones are. clay or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, clay. You know, same, same basic ingredients to make bricks, probably, or right. you know, make shingles. What is it? It's like a, it's kind of like a complicated carbon <laughs> steel composed simply of iron and carbon. Oh, okay. So there oh, you that's go. good enough. That's, you just need some carbon. That's close enough. Um, okay, so, um, uh, 
I, I'm not sure if it. I'm not sure if it like you know pays for us to to uh, pick apart all those six things. Let's let's assume he's right for a minute because the point that he wants to make is the is you know, he gets the, the punchline is kahatora kadma otan shesh kedimot right. So there are six things. Um, uh, uh, um, how, well, what does the translation your translation say? Uh, so it should be like thus thus the Torah. Yeah, no, keep you know, keep going, keep going in the translation. The preceded these with six, with six, the first of old forever. Yeah, so right, so these are these are all quotes, right? So it's uh, Kedem in Hebrew, Kedem Meaz Meolam Merosh Umikadme Umikadme Train. So there are like two Mikadmes. Um, uh, so. Um, Right, so that's that's a quote from Proverbs that we've encountered a couple of times before. We can look at it if you like. Um just to remind ourselves, so um, uh, Proverbs, Proverbs uh, chapter eight. In the in the Art Scroll, Nancy, it's on page uh, fifteen seventy-eight. In the uh, JPS, it's on. <coughs> Chapter chapter eight, uh, verse uh, twenty-two. I believe we start. Um, so in, in Hebrew, for that, it's Adonai Konani Reshit Darko. Right. So God uh, made me at the begin as the beginning of God's way. Kedem Mifaalav Meaz. Before God's uh, deeds of uh, of old. Meolam nisachti merosh mikadme eretz. I have reigned for all time from the beginning, uh, from before there was the earth. So we're back at the idea that what he, what this one's about is the Torah being written before anything else happened. Is that what this? Right. Yeah. This is right. This is back back to that idea that the that the um, uh, the, the Torah. Um, uh, preceded creation, right? And I think what he's, well, the point he's trying to make here is kind of complicated, it's kind of confusing language. But I think the point would be... The translation was different. It says the Lord created me at the beginning of his course mm-hmm. as the first of his works of old. In the distant past, I was fashioned at the beginning, at the origin of the earth. Yeah, it's basically the same. In the art school, I actually was kind of paraphrasing art school, but art school, Hashem made me as the beginning of his way before his deeds of yore. I have reigned for all time from the beginning, from before there was the earth. So this is, you know, basically a similar translation. I think that basically it's getting to this idea, right, that the, uh, uh, the, the Torah, uh, you know, I don't know what happened to all of my uh, uh, photocopies, Chazan. Uh, oh, really? So maybe, yeah, so maybe you can share with somebody. Okay, sorry. Um, Thank you. I'll make more copies. Um, Uh, so uh, okay, so again, the, the the language here is kind of confusing about how he makes his point. But basically, I think what he's saying is that in the same way that a builder requires six things to uh, build, uh, no matter what kind of builder, rich builder, poor builder, always requires six things in order to build. Uh, God required uh, Torah to build the world, uh, but Torah. So why? So why does every other builder need six things, but Torah is only one thing? And so it says. Kach Torah Kadma Otan Sheish Kedimot. So the Torah uh, it, it, um, uh, precedes things in place of all those six things. So it, what it's pointing to, the midrash here is that in this passage from Proverbs, um, there are six. 
synonyms, if you will, for Torah. It's you know, saying that the, the words that are used here are basically six synonyms for Torah. So they're kind of like six permutations of Torah uh, that are that 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 all kind of equal the same thing. Right. So he says that the six are. Um, uh, uh, Ked, right, um, uh, Kedem, Me'az, uh, Me'olam, Me'rosh, uh, Mikadme, uh, and which is two. Mikadme train, yeah. Um, Oh, okay. So here's right. So here's what, what, the, what my commentary says is that because the, the word mikadme uh, implies plural, oh. right? So that that stands for two things. Um, okay. So, but basically, I, I, I'm not sure if there's there's probably two layers to this. Okay. Um, the first is a layer that we've encountered before that. Uh, um, that we've discussed at length, the idea that uh, uh, Torah preceded creation and was uh, the thing that God uh, utilized uh, uh, to create the world, whether it was like the blueprint, which is an idea that we saw, right? Kind of like the blueprint, the plan, the building plans uh, for making the world. Um, Or here, it actually kind of implies that it's the building materials in a way for making the world. So that's, that might be an interesting, right? Um, which brings me to the second layer of this, which is, um, so, you know, uh, what, what might we make of that assertion that the Torah, uh, is the literal building blocks, not just the plans of the world, but the literal materials that, you know, that, that, that built the world is, is Torah. Um, and I guess if you want, there's a third layer, which is the, you know, the, the layer that's specific to this midrash. So saying, you know, each of those kind of like synonyms for, uh, for first things refers to Torah, uh, and, and, and what might we make of that? So, um, any, any thoughts about any of those, uh, pieces, the, the notion that, uh, the Torah preceded the creation was utilized by God to create the world or the notion that the Torah is a uh, part of the actual building materials of the world, um, or the, you know, kind of mid- linguistic midrashic angle. It is a big idea to get your head around. It's hard to come up with a fine point because how can it be a material even if even if it was something you know when we talked about the first few um, midrashim here that it was written ahead of time, how could it be like a because what we're the the things listed above are like physical wood you mm-hmm. know stone. In what way do you think he means it could be that like that? Yeah, so I'm not sure what he no means, question. but where my but where my mind goes to is is sort of. Um, uh, I would say at the like edge between, um, you know, the physical sciences and the metaphysical. Right. So, um, you know, one of the, one of the, um, kind of cutting edge theories in, in, uh, in, in physics nowadays is the notion that basically the fundamental, um, uh, level of all being is that we're, that we're kind of like, you know, vibrating strings, right? So, you know, every, everything you've heard of string theory, right? that's the idea, right? That, that like the, the, the smallest possible particle of anything is, is a, you know, is a vib- and everything is an interaction between vibrating strings. What that basically is saying, and you're like this, is that the most fundamental level of reality is music, right? Is sound. Um, I was right all along. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, and so you might say that I don't think that that's Rabbi Yeshua Ben Levi thought, right? But to say that to say that you know the Torah ultimately is is speech, right? Is uh, is language, right? And uh, and so you know that that language is kind of like built into the fabric of all of all existence. Or you might say that you know um, you know our our, our you know, our DNA is all, you know, is all, is all like, you know, like patterns of letters, right? So that there's something about 
like um, language that's kind of like built into the fabric of existence. Um, and so I don't know why not the Torah as that language that's built into the fabric of existence. And I think ultimately then what he's saying is to live a life of Torah is ultimately to like live in, in, in most harmony with, with the world, right? Um, to live, uh, to not live a life of Torah is to, in, on some level, place oneself kind of out of step with mm-hmm. creation, right? It's a rebellion against creation. It's, to be dissonant. It's with dissonant with, yeah, to use musical language, to be, right, sure, to be dissonant sure. with creation, right? Uh, right. My mother-in-law said, you know, resonant or dissonant, right? So she said, you know, to, to follow life of Torah is to be resonant with creation, right? To, um, to, to violate the Torah is to be dissonant with creation. Well, I like the music piece for sure. Yeah. That's great. What do you think of that idea though? That, uh, that, um, that if, you know, if, if, if the, if the world is literally built by Torah, right? The Torah is part of the fabric of existence. Then that means to, to live, you know, to, to, to live out of harmony with Torah is, you know, is, is, uh, um, ruptures, you know, creates a rupture of some sort of dissonance of some sort. What do you think about that idea? I mean, do you, does that idea, is that idea compelling to you? Do you think, disagree with it, agree with it? I mean, I think of the two ideas, you know, that Torah is the blueprint for creation and the Torah is the actual building blocks of creation. If you're asking me to choose between those two, I find it easier to believe that Torah is the blueprint, Right. Um, for a lot of reasons, not the least of which, if Torah is the actual, if Torah provides actual building materials of creation, and if, as you said, to live out of sync with Torah is to live in dissonance, right, with life, basically, what about all the other world religions, right? What about, right? So that's, that I think is sort of the biggest stumbling block for me. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, the only way I can get behind, well, and this is kind of self-negating, I feel like the only way I can get behind believing that the Torah provides the actual physical building blocks for creation is to take that not so literally, which would sort of negate the point of it, right? Because it seems like he does want you to take it literally, that Torah is the actual building blocks. Right. So... That's, that's right. So I think it's, it's helpful to, you know, uh, I, I mean, I, I had that same question, same concern. Um, so I wonder if you, you know, uh, hew closer to what Proverbs is saying. I mean, Proverbs isn't, isn't exactly talking about Torah. It's talking about wisdom. Right. Right. So, right. So, right. Which would be a little more of a figurative understanding and not a literal, Right. So my my mother in law uh, points that out, right? So she she you know uh, she was saying you know what, you know what depends on the definition of Torah, right? You know if Torah is you know literally this this book, right? Or is it wisdom? Is it you know some kind of fundamental truth that the written Torah uh, approximates in language that like that first human beings can understand, but but a particular group of human beings understands, but it's not necessarily a monopoly on that wisdom or that truth, right? Right? It's just you know, kind of like one prism through which we can view it. Um, and she also says, you know, that, that, you know, uh, uh, she talks about this as like being in harmony with the essence of God, right? Uh, our true selves unseparated from the essence of the divine. So uh, it sounds to me like what she's saying is that there's some kind of like, um, uh, identification being made in her view of, uh, of, uh, Torah and God, right? That there's that somehow Torah is a manifestation of God's essence, um, and so again, right? Uh, like the written Torah is like one prism through which to view that, right? It's a it's an inherently limited one because human beings are inherently limited. Uh, we like have you know lang- uh, 
language with its own rules and limitations uh, and own idioms and symbolisms and things like that. We have a context that we're born into in which we kind of like perspective in which we look at things and understand things, right? So, so Torah is, you know, like the, the Jewish conception of the essence of God, right? Which is not necessarily a refutation of some other representation of the essence of God that's particular for a different kind of group of people in their own time and place. So it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, but it does mean that in, in either direction that to, uh, to live out of step with, uh, those manifestations, of the divine, uh, or, or out of step with the, the divine in general, uh, is, uh, is dissonant with, with creation. Now the challenge that I think, I naturally have with that is, so what do you do with the places with which, you know, all those religious traditions disagree, right? Um, sometimes significantly about, you know, the nature of God or, you know, whatever, right? It's not just, it's not just a difference in language, right? Sometimes it's a difference in, in significant difference in ideas. So do you mind if I, will you yeah. leave no, the digression? Yeah. Um, I didn't see the actual tweet, but I saw a commentary about the tweet on Facebook. Do you know what I'm about to say? No, but I am um, just anticipating, bracing so myself. Vice President Mike Pence um, tweeted, uh, I can't remember. Oh, the thing about the Holocaust? Right. Yeah, I did. Or about Yav Vashem, visiting Yav Vashem. Right. Yeah. And he said something about, um, you know, we Karen and I visited Yad Vashem to honor the six million Jewish martyrs who, and then it was something about like you know marched from the ashes to right, resurrect yeah. themselves yeah. to create a Jewish state. And honestly, it, Brandon Matheny shared it and yeah, he explained that's I saw it. it, and that would, he gave a beautiful explanation. But when I first saw the tweet, I'm like, what on earth is he even talking about? And Brandon explained that he was viewing Judaism and the Holocaust through the lens of Christianity and the language of Christianity, which is resurrection, which doesn't compute with Jews or, right? It just, that's why it made no sense to me. So I think that to me, that kind of gets to your point, right? That um, even if you view this, you know, as you said, there still um, could be significant discrepancies and kind of clashes with, other religions, worldviews, yeah, 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 right. And so, yeah, the, the the question is like, like you know, is one or the other out of harmony with creation, right? Exactly. Right, uh, uh, or are they both? You know, um, right? You know, and it um, it's you know, like it, it just sort of like like begs the question of of whether you know religion is the the cause of you know. Um, uh, division and strife between humanity, right? Um, or, you know, another point of view is that, like, uh, religion in its ideal is as close as we can, might come to, like, you know, harmonious, you know, like we have a shared language that we can kind of understand in some ways, this language of religion um, that like transcends. That. Yeah. Um, and, like, what would happen if religion didn't exist? Like, what you know, would, would there just be, like, these kind of, like, tribal things? You know, would, would people still, would, would we have, like, one big, you know, John Lennon kumbaya? Um, that's his proposition, right? Imagine right. that there's no religion. No religion, right. right. Um, um, so, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. Why don't we go on to the next Midrash? and uh, tackle that, you know. We'll <laughs> right. Fix it all, yeah. man. Let's, <laughs> we have till 115. Let's roll. <laughs> Uh, my, my, uh, before we go on, just my, my mother-in-law, uh, uh, points out that there's this tradition, um, in, uh, in, in, uh, she mentioned 70 faces of the, of the divine. Um, I'm not as familiar with that concept of 70 faces of the divine, but, it, but there is a rabbinic idea of shivim panim Torah, right? So that, uh, that there are 70 facets or faces to Torah, which 70 is sort of rabbinic language for infinite, right? So like the different names of God, like that? Kabbalistic different terminology for Hashem. Uh, yeah, so that so that so that might be what she's referring to. Um, there definitely is that idea in Kabbalah that there are that there are many different uh, names uh, of God or different attributes of God, different facets of God, um, and so different like ways of of engaging or relating with God. Um, 
But there's also this idea in rabbinic literature that there's 70 facets to Torah, right? So like even, you know, even within Torah itself, like, like Torah is, you know, is a, in some ways it's a finite document, right? It's words on a page, but, <laughs> but, but we know that it's essentially an infinite document because, um, it, because there's infinite, you know, everybody is different, right? The, the, there's that joke of two Jews, three opinions, I don't think it's only Jews. I think that like, you know, most people like hold conflicting feelings about things or different, you know, different perspectives and different interpretations. Things they might look at a text in two radically different ways at different points in their life. So anyways, there you know, there are at least as many perspectives on Torah as there are people. Um so, you know, that's a different la- another layer of complexity to this, which is you know, not only are there, you know, if what we're saying is that uh, that wisdom is something sort of like you know uh, um, uh, inherent and divine, you know, eternal, right? And, and Torah is kind of like an approximation of that wisdom. And to live according to Torah is to live in harmony with that wisdom. But that also you know raises the question of well, which path is the right path, and can you know, can you do both with different paths? But then you have the additional layer of you know. Uh, Torah means like a million different things, to, even to people who like yeah. practice it and and study it, right? So, okay, which is the right which is the right Torah, right? Which is the Torah that actually brings you into harmony with with existence? Um, so that might be just to kind of uh, uh, as a thought to move on. I mean that that maybe that's the answer, right? Right. If, if your understanding of Torah brings you into closer harmony with the rest of existence, then you have, then then you have, then right. Then you've interpreted Torah correctly. Right. If it, well, I think that, um, meaning what, like you disagree with other people's interpretations of Torah. Well, I think again, you know, I think that, uh, um, because we certainly know that, I mean, we've been, this Talmud, we've been doing that in constant right. refutation of what's been said, just be it for. Right. And, and I also think that, sorry, I also think that the issue with that, you know, just dovetailing on what you said, is that there may be more than one group of Jews that considers their way of doing things to be in harmony with Jews. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a, maybe, you know, just a thought. Right. I mean, you know, that, that's true. I mean, I wonder if you would know, you know, like, like what Potter Stewart famously said about pornography. Like, I wonder if you know it when you would, when you see it, right. like, would you, would you know how it felt to be kind of think about, it. I don't know if you ever read the sword in the stone. Oh yeah. Um, but there's all I really remember of it is like the, the scene where King Arthur pull, pulls the sword out of the stone. There's this, like, it's like this amazing description of like being sort of like in in total harmony with like everything that had come before him and everything that is coming after him and like all of nature is like in unison at the same time. I'm not maybe describing this so well, but because I read it when I was in eighth grade, but I just that moment sticks out to me. Like, would you would, like if you were living Torah right? Would you feel that all the time, right? And you would know you're living Torah right and interpreting Torah right because you're feeling that all the time, or like, is that not a real thing? <laughs> and, you know, um, and, uh, and, and it's impossible. You know, you're deluding yourself if you're actually living toward it that way. You know, I think about this, you know, animals, um, uh, inherently live in harmony with, with, uh, with, with creation, you know, uh, human beings are what are like, you know, uh, uh, dissonant from the harmony of, of creation, but I just, I don't know what it would look like to have human society that is, um, that's like fully harmonious with, uh, with, with creation. Well, it's, it's interesting because that's all we need it though. You know, I think that the Torah is like a compilations of a compilation of instructions on how to be a better person individually. And, you know, it's, and, and, that maybe those maybe what you maybe what someone notices in a parsha in a given week is their particular piece they need to think about and work on or something because I that's that's what I think you know the Torah provides for us as as individuals and I also think as as like you like you know society in general I think it's how to how to do better and like my dog knows 
more about God than I do, for sure. She doesn't have to wonder, you know, but I have to wonder. So it's really great to have something to help. Yeah, you know, I, but I don't know if your dog knows more about God than you do. Your God probably, your, your God, your dog probably doesn't have, your God, your, your dog does not (laughs) have, there's something there. There's something Um, there, like. Because your dog doesn't have the, 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 the language, the, the consciousness to, to, to explore this, right? Your dog lives totally in the, in the moment, you know, both, both physically, like in terms of space and time. Right? Like, there's no out, there's no world beyond your backyard for your dog, you know? I mean, until he goes out to the, that world and sees it, right? Uh, but it's not like he goes, it's not like your dog, you know, leaves your, you know, digs a hole in your fence, leaves the fence, you know, walks out the street, sees that there's a street and imagines, oh, there must be more streets out there. Your dog doesn't know that until he walks down the street and then there's more street, right? Sure. Um, goes to New York. It's not like he says, well, maybe there's a Tokyo. Well, I wonder if Tokyo's like, no, he sees New York, right? Sure. That's, that's the world, right? And, and there's no more world. I mean, maybe there's like world in memory, right? right. Of like how to get back home, right? But, uh, but anyway, he's like, the, but that's like the privilege and burden of intellect. Like we have that and we can think about those things. But, like, on a more, like, soulful piece of it, you, you know, you look into, and, and there's, a, there's just a more inherent peacefulness, I think, there. Hmm. So, I mean, I'm biased because I'm also a dog lover, but, man, and which is one of right. my dogs in particular, it's just, there's an right. all-knowing everything well, is okayness. Right. You know? Well, it's a fine, yeah, I mean, you know, dogs don't have anxiety, right? Dogs... Dogs don't, I was going to say dogs don't get depressed, but like yeah. dogs get sad, but they don't, you know, dogs can, they have emotion, but there's, but, but I think dogs, and I'm not putting them on the human level. I mean, it's a yeah. totally different thing, but I don't know. I think she's knows something I don't. You had an empathetic dog when you were sick. When I was sick? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. She was worried to bits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they can tell those things. But I wonder, you know, with the animals, I wonder if... Yeah, but I don't... See, that's the thing. I don't... I, I doubt your dog was worried. Your dog was empathetic. Your dog, like, knew you were in pain and wanted to, like, you know, be there for you in your pain. But I doubt your dog was wondering, oh, I wonder if she's going to make it. You know what I mean? Like... Really? Yeah. Because I don't think that dogs have an awareness of that. Okay. You do you think they do? I'm coming from a really specific point of view. Um, I think I have a reincarnated dog from some wise, uh, wise, I, and it's one in particular. I think like the other, the others are like she's sick and boring, but I had such a <laughs> unique experience. And again, I know I saw like you know dog lady, but it's it's a it's a really different. But this one dog is a reincarnated Sadiq. Is that what you're... Really, could be. It's a really (laughs) different, like, soul in that animal. I don't get it. So, I don't know. I don't know. And and I, because I think about these things, and I wonder, like, if I didn't have responsibilities and a schedule, and I, I had, like, this, if I could be a human being, but live the same level of, you know, stress and pressure... As, as my dogs, you know, with their, you know, up emotions and down emotions, because I do have that, would I be, would I be that zen? Would I be that peaceful? Would I be that, what I interpret as, as, as you know, one with the world or, or my creator or whatever, would I not have to question things as much? You know, the burden of intellect is right. burdensome. Yeah, and I think it takes us away from you know our our soulful spiritual selves. I think that those are vying for our attention. Those aspects of us are, and therefore the fact that my dog doesn't have that kind of automatically makes her spiritual. And again, I'm not saying dogs and humans are the the same thing, but does that make any sense at all? Yeah, you remove that burdensome piece, then can you? Just, yeah, you don't have to think so much. 
Well, you know, I, I think that uh, you know what what you're what you're getting at. I, th- I often think is the purpose or one of the purposes of prayer, right? Because um, prayer, which is which is one of the things that I I, I often wonder, you know, it, it, you know, are we not um, you know doing something that's kind of self defeating in Judaism of having you know this like very rich liturgical tradition. And, uh, and, a, and a book that contains it all, which gives off the impression that prayer is meant to be a cognitive exercise, right? That if you, you know, if you like think the right things and implant the right ideas, then like something important is going to happen. And I actually think that the f- purpose of prayer in some ways is the opposite, right? It's to like, like leave the world of the intellect, right? To, because the, the world of the intellect is, is a burden in some way and to be, uh, more in, uh, uh to, to feel a more intimate, um, unthinking connection with, with, with the divine, which, which I also would mean to be like everything that is, right? Um, which is why music helps, I think, in, in worship. Um, and, and kind of meditative practices help in worship, which the, to me is like what the liturgy is supposed to do. It's supposed to be sort of like a meditative practice and not a cognitive practice. Like a, we shouldn't, aren't supposed to really understand what it means. I mean, or spend a lot of time thinking about what it means, you know? Um, anyway, I don't know. That's sort of like, that's my own kind of like ax to grind about like English readings and things like that. Um, <laughs> um, no, that's significant. I think. You know, especially as someone who's you know lived outside of Judaism and then as an adult is trying to implant you know a, a a healthy liturgical you know practice into my daily life at the proper times it can get really technical and you know it's like you, one day you wake up and I haven't had a spiritual conversation with God in months or longer because I'm just so focused on reading and reading and reading not that I don't appreciate it mm-hmm. I love our liturgy. But it's, it's there's got it's almost like it's two different things, you know. So I started also meditating so that I could do not reading from a sitter, and also the reading from the sitter. You know what I think in some ways that like uh, like prayer and study. I, I just thought of this, and so I'm going to workshop it with you guys while I'm thinking about it. Love is it. that prayer and study are kind of like um, like inhaling and exhaling, right? So study is like inhaling. Right, you're like you're you're taking in stuff, um, uh, and prayer is supposed to be like exhaling. Right, is supposed to be like letting things go, um, and and I, I, why that uh, image was compelling to me in the moment is that that it's the it's the the exhaling um, that actually um, facilitates like it like the the act of exhaling is what uh, reduces stress and anxiety. Um, minimizes depression. You know, sort of like, like, uh, um, my daughter's in this phase where, like, where her, like, um, super, her super ego is, like, working on overdrive. So she has, like, all these thoughts that she doesn't know how to process that are, like, popping into her head. She's, like, never, like, been, like, conscious of those thoughts before. So the fact that they're popping into her head and some of them are, like, uncomfortable thoughts, like, is really bothering her, you know? And, and so, like, teaching her the technology of like breathing to let go of those thoughts has been really (laughs) helpful because like, just because a thought pops in your head doesn't mean that you have to like catch on to it. Right. And like have it take over you. Right. So it's the exhaling that enables her to kind of like let go of it. Um, a little bit. I don't know if that's a, uh, um, that, that image of inhaling and exhaling of prayer study, uh, is, is useful. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, all right, let's look at the, we have a few minutes. Let's look at the next Midrash. Um, Franklin, you did a good job. I'm going to pass the baton to Nancy, number nine, if you're willing. A philosopher once asked Rabbi Gamliel and said to him, your God is only a great artist because he found great materials that helped him. Tohu, Vohu, darkness, spirit, water, and the depths. Rabbi Gamliel responded to him, your spirit should, your spirit should blow. Regarding all of them, the term creation is written. I just want—I just like want to want to like linger linger on that insult. Is that that an insult? Yeah, it's you know. um, It's just like get um, up out of here. 
Tipach Ruche in the in the Aramaic. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I don't know what, what would be a good like English oh, idiom for that. Um, like go chase your tail or something like right. that. Yes, um, yeah, something like that. I actually think it means like like sort of like go to hell. You know, like really? like you should die. Yeah. Like um, your spirit should blow, like it should blow away. Blow out of your body. Straight out of your body. Yeah. Blown away. Right. <laughs> he wasn't pleased with that. Um, okay. So spirit blow. Regarding all of them, the term creation is written. Tohu and Vohu, as it says in Isaiah forty five seven, he makes peace and creates evil, darkness. He fashions light and creates darkness, water. To hell and more forty five. Praise the heavens and the waters. Why? For he commanded that they were created. Spirit. Amos, uh, Amos 4.13. For, for behold, he fashions mountain and creates spirit. The depths. Mishle 8.24. When there were no depths, I was created. There's a lot of proof text. Is that what you... Yeah, a lot of, a lot of proof. What are the proof texts trying to prove? He makes, he fashions, he commanded, versus the the flimsy spirit guy says he's only great because he found. Is that what it's saying? So, yes, so basically, right? So the the philosopher. Anybody else want to take a stab at it? You're, I think you're you're basically there. What are the proof texts here trying to prove? Do you want to have a couple? Yeah, yeah. Let's start with this question while you're looking. Okay, what is what is the what is the philosopher's assertion? He's only great because he's got great gear. <laughs> right, right. God is only great because he has great gear. So, what does that mean practically? He himself, standing alone without his gear, is not so hot. Well, what did the gear do? Like, what gear did God have? God's own power. Tohuvo, darkness, spirit, water, and depths. He found these things. Is that what he was saying? Right, but but what did what what were they what were they for? What did God do with them? Good, right? Sorry, uh, God's not so great, right? Because uh, God like used pre-existing materials to build the world, right? Applying, if God were really great, God would have you know created everything from from scratch. So, right? can yeah. I read Isaiah forty-five seven? Sure. I form light and create darkness. Mm-hmm. Anybody recognize? I make wheel and create woe. I, the Lord, do make all wheel things. and create woe. I like that. Um, Sorry, where's that from? Um, Isaiah forty-five, but you recognize it from somewhere else, don't you? Seven fourteen. If you're in yes, but where? But Nancy's onto something. Where do you recognize that phrase? God is Oseh. Uh, um, uh, oh, Yes. Or right, light, darkness. Where is it from? It's uh, right before you get into the blessings of the Shema. Good, right? It's the it's, it's actually the first the first blessing before the Shema. Okay. Yeah, or the beginning of the first blessing before the Shema. Right after. Um, right. After right. Shabbat, yeah. Right. Right. right after Barhu, yeah. Right. Good. Right now there is a difference between that phrase and the phrase in Isaiah. What's the difference? So in the Sidor, it's Yotzer or Uvore Choshech, Oseh Shalom Uvore Takol. Well, I make peace, and I and I create everything. Is that the no? That's, that's not, not the difference. That's not the difference. Yotzer. Can you read the Isaiah one again, real fast? I form light and create darkness. I make wheel and create woe. I, the Lord, do all these things. This one says he says makes peace, creates everything, not wheel and woe. Well, right. So, I, are you talking about the difference between Yotzer and Bore? No. So, <laughs> uh, okay. Here, uh, okay, Nancy, follow along in your sidor. Okay. Uh, here's the phrase from Isaiah: Yotzer or uvore choshech, ose shalom uvore ra. Es hakol. Oh. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So the Isaiah passage makes all. says, right? Isaiah passage says God uh, um, um, uh, creates peace, 
uh, and and makes evil or, or right. woe, um, uh, right? So, so and the Sidor changes that. Well, this the liturgy is not, softens it. The liturgy softens it, right? The, the God creates everything, implying all you know and evil and too, and right? But yeah, but um, so. <clears throat> Right. Okay. So, um, but back to the matter at hand. So, so what's the what's Robin Gamliel's response to this philosopher? Well, spirit should <laughs> blow right out of your body. Right. No. But why? What? What? What's like? But the, what's the substance of his response? The first, the initial response, or the whole response? Because the initial response, I mean, he's clearly offended. Right. Right. But what, the whole response. The whole response. God is all powerful. Why? Because he's God. But what did God do that uh, that demonstrates God's power in 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 refutation of what the philosopher said? Because Gamaliel said he created all of the all of his gear he has he created. Right, right. In other words, philosopher saying God's not so great because God made the world with pre-existing stuff. And Rav on Gamaliel said he created all that stuff. Right, God created all that stuff. Right, so um, there's there's a couple of, of pieces here. Okay, the first is um, that uh, 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 even though there are threads in the Jewish tradition that uh, make the exact same argument as that philosopher, the dominant thread in the Jewish tradition um, has 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 for a long time set that up set that divide up as the dividing line between uh, philosophy, the Greek philosophy, which, um, uh, which, which basically asserts that the world is eternal, right? That, that, uh, that, that, that the world was not created, right? Um, in any kind of meaningful sense of, of the, of the word, right? That, that, that maybe things were rearranged or set in motion or things like that, but the stuff was already there, right? Um, and, uh, Jewish uh, thought, which uh, which again I think is not universal in Jewish thought. Uh, it's not the only approach to uh, Jewish thought, and it's certainly not the only way to interpret the Torah. Because you can see that the philosopher is interpreting Torah, right? So that's also an interesting thing that the philosopher is citing his proof text from from the Bible and not from philosophy, right? Um, but uh, but the but the dominant understanding of the Torah is that, uh, is that God creating, created everything from nothing. Right. And so the, the, um, the divide between Jewish thought, let's say largely speaking Greek philosophy is that Jewish thought has, has held that the world was created, uh, ex nihilo is the fancy term, right? From nothing. Right. And, and philosophy, uh, uh, says that it's not. So here's, here you have like a, you know, um, a very kind of like clear stylized version of that debate, right? Um, now it's an interesting debate, and I think that is worthy of conversation. But the but it's also I think worth noting that in some ways um, I, I wonder what Rabban Gamliel, how Rabban Gamliel would respond to Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, who says that um, that the that the world was created from the building block of Torah. Wouldn't Rabbi Gamaliel say that God first just created Torah then? Maybe. That's what Rabbi Gamaliel would say. Do you think that's what Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi would say? I feel like that's what he was nodding to in the previous Medrash. Like, um, it's similar to the, the second one we studied, or maybe the first one, that... Um, that first thing he did was write a blueprint for creation and then executed that creation or carried it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of similar to Rabbi Yoshua because he's saying that the Torah was the building blocks. Like the Torah was the blueprint. The Torah is the building blocks. It's just that came first. That was the, the first part. I don't know. Just one moment. Mm-hmm. So we're still on Bracious, right? We're still on the oh yeah, the very first yeah. We're not and we're still on one one, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, um, uh, we have not. We're we're a little bit we're a little bit off script. Well, actually, well, this is basically one two, right? Because one two 
is the verse that says, Okay, so you do, I mean, implied in that second verse is that, you know, as God began to create the world, uh, the Haaretz, Haitatovavohu, right? That as God is creating the world, the, the, the world or the land was, to, was unformed and void, right? Um, or, or had, to, or had chaos and whatever, right? It had Choshech, right? Choshech to home, right? That there was darkness over the face of the deep. Uh, uh, he then, he has to home as his last thing, right? But there was a deep at that moment, right? Um, uh, there was Ruach er Elohim, right? The, the wind from God, Merachevet Alpinehamayim, was, was sweeping or fluttering over the, over the face of the waters. So there was waters then too, right? None of those things are mentioned in verse one as things that God had been created, right? None of them, uh, is Brishipara Elohim et Shemaim et Aretz, right? Um, that's all we know. Right, uh, and and then maybe it's implied that yeah. with that when God uh, created Haaretz in that first moment of having created Haaretz, it was Tovohu and all those things, right? Um, but you can see how a philosopher could have a little foothold in there that there was already raw material there, you know? Right. Yeah. So just on a side note, cantorial bloopers. When I was in cantorial school, one of my colleagues told me that he leaned. Um, Bereshit somewhere, and he chanted Tofu Vavohu. <laughs> tofu Vavohu. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, that is the, about as close as we can approximate to void and <laughs> chaos. <laughs> um, oh, I'm going to share that one with my ladies. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're 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 basically out of time. Any any thoughts about this uh, midrash or about these two midrashim we want to close with? It's good mind exercise. When you have to think outside the everything you. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I know Bracious. You have to break that apart. These guys are going on a whole different place. So I think that the you know the, the most obvious question to me is you know why why does it matter why does Rabbi Gamliel get so worked up over this uh, and and why is the Jewish tradition largely speaking spend so much time trying to argue in favor of creatio ex nihilo um, I think one of the reasons is that uh, that if creation's not from nothing uh, then it might uh, and we actually have seen this elsewhere in, in earlier in the midrash. Um, that it, that it might impugn God's unity, right? Because if God was not responsible for creating those first things, then who was, right? And, uh, and suggesting that there is another power, maybe even a greater power, uh, or at least a co-equal power, uh, in the, in the cosmos beside God, right? Um, so I think that that's why, uh, uh, Jews were so forceful in their argument against the philosophers. Is there a counter-argument to that? Besides creation, it's an halo? Yeah, was there, is there an argument to say that there is a way to preserve the unity of God and also um, and, and also, right, and also have pre-existing materials? Hmm. I mean, it seems to me that I feel like the primary way to do that would be a way that wasn't available to the ancients, which is to, you know, meld it with more modern scientific understanding like the Big Bang, right? right? Yeah, so that's what, that's what um, uh, Rabbi Brad Artson does. He talks a lot about... Um, God and the universe being kind of like co-creating, um, so that, um, uh, so that the, like, you know, the, 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 um, uh, the matter that we, you know, that, that just kind of like, um, uh, you know, erupts into being, um, uh, maybe accidentally, maybe spontaneously, right? So, so maybe you, you could say that like, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, chaos, emptiness, nothingness is uh, is a power, you know, greater than God, but not not God in the terminology that we want to use. 
but that God uh, um, both creates and is created by the universe as the universe is in, and as the universe comes into being, God comes into being too. Right? So that God, it, like both, you know, sort of like created with and surpasses all of all of existence. Um, so I think that, it, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think that Rabbi Artzen um, uh, falls in somewhere like in the category of um, I don't know how the things that were, I, I don't know how like this, you know, how like matter came into being. Um, I'm just not positive that God is responsible for having created it from nothing because um, uh, we have no ability to, to, um, uh, to, to understand what that, what that would mean or how that would be possible. So all I can, all I can know um, is that um, we, you know, we encounter the world and God simultaneously, right? That's the, that's about the best we can get, right? So, so for, for like the sake, for all sakes and purposes, um, God had stuff to work with when God came on the scene, right? Um, uh, and at the same time, God didn't have things to work with when God came on the scene, right? They sort of came on the scene at the same time. Um, but I find it like chasing your tail, trying to define exactly what, you know, all of that is supposed to mean. I mean, the creation of the world and or the universe is sort of big for the mind to get. It's, I mean, there's no way, you know, to understand all that or relate to that. Better to be a dog. (laughs) There you go. Well, but I also, I also think that's an interesting way of understanding Midrash, right? That it's an attempt to try and explain the inexplicable. Great. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, we are out of time. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. See you next week.